Now, I want to ask you then to take your Bibles and open them to the book of Ephesians. We started a series a few weeks ago entitled, What About Monday? The focus of this series is to ask the question, how does the resurrection impact how you and I live each day? We know that the resurrection of Jesus is a guarantee that one day when he returns, the dead in Christ will rise with resurrected bodies, and we who are living will be transformed into our new bodies. So the resurrection is that guarantee of that future event. But what about today? What difference does the resurrection of Jesus make to how you live every day? And that's what we've been looking at. And today, we come into the middle of one of the richest passages of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Now, I could spend literally the rest of the year preaching through this verse by verse. But we're actually today going to be reading three verses, verses 4 through 7. And I'm going to be focusing on one phrase in verse 6. And seated us with him in the heavenly places. But to set that in context, follow with me as I read verses 4 through 7. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. May God be glorified in the reading and the hearing of his word this morning. 1992 as Thanksgiving was approaching, my wife and I were trying to decide exactly what we were going to do. Thanksgiving of 1992 was going to be our first Thanksgiving together. And we were living in Texas, so we were 800 miles away from home, and we were not going to be able to go home for Thanksgiving. So even in the summer, we started thinking, what are we going to do? We don't want to just, you know, sit around and do nothing, so it hit me. The Dallas Cowboys play football on Thanksgiving. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So in July, when tickets went on sale, I started calling. And we were blessed to get two tickets to watch the Dallas Cowboys play the New York Giants on Thanksgiving Day. We woke up that morning and it was the coldest Thanksgiving on record. It was like 20 degrees. We didn't care. And when we got to the stadium, I guarantee you, the people seated around us, they didn't care because they were three sheets in the wind, if you know what I mean. Whole game, they kept yelling out, Cowboys! It didn't matter what happened, fumble, interception, Cowboys! We had a blast. Even though we were in the old Texas stadium and there was no seat higher than our seats in that stadium. I kid you not, we were seated at the spot where the dome started to curve, and we were like this. But we were there. We had a blast. Now, I couldn't help but wonder in that event, and somebody asked me, well, what was the score that day? 30 to 3 Cowboys. But I couldn't help but think, what would it be like to attend, say, a Super Bowl and sit in a luxury suite? 
What would it be like to sit courtside at an NBA game? What would it be like to, to be on the front row at a Broadway show and take that in? And then I realized something. Believer, you and I have the best seat in the universe. I say that based on Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. We have the best seat because you and I are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. More than that, we are told earlier that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Now, let me be clear, just to, to get this out in front of us. There are questions you may have that I don't have the answer for today. But what I can speak and understand truly, I want to make mention to you right now. Goodness, yes, that light just went out. It's a sign of things to come. He preached the lights off. If, if we are seated with Christ, which we are, it is because of the grace of God. That's the one point that Paul is making here. Because when you start out in chapter 2, our situation is not good. Just read the first verse. When we were dead in our trespasses. You know what our status was before the grace of God? We were dead. Not only that, you read verse 2. We were enslaved to the powers of the prince of the air. That means whether we realize it or not, you and I, before being saved, were influenced by the demonic. And worse than that, we were by nature children of wrath. We deserved the wrath of God because we were dead, we were influenced by the demonic, and we wanted nothing to do with God. We are in bad shape until you come to the beginning of verse 4 that contains two of the most powerful words in the Scripture, but God. We were dead, but God made us alive in Christ. We were enslaved, but God set us free in Christ. We were by nature children of wrath, but God adopted us into his family. And the reason God did that is not because he looked down and saw some great potential in what we would one day be. He did not do this because he looked down and he said, oh my goodness, they are just so wonderful. No, look at verse 4. God did this because he was rich in mercy and because of the great love with which he loved us. Our salvation rests in the grace and the love of God. Now when we think of this on earthly terms, we think of somebody, for example, if we say, well, they are rich in real estate, means they got a lot of property. If we look at someone and say, well, they are rich in oil, they got, they got more oil than Jed Clampett. If we say they are rich in stocks and bonds, we say they, they're rich in investments. But God is not rich in any of those earthly things, even though he owns all the earth. It says our God is rich in love. God's wealth is found in his grace. And what that means is that his mercy and his love is inexhaustible. What that means is that his grace is inexhaustible. It means his compassion is inexhaustible, which translates into saying that no matter how far we think we may be from God, his grace is rich enough to save us and to reach us. Now, because of that, we are united with Christ. Time and time again over the last few weeks, we have come to a statement either in Christ or with Christ. We have seen how we are united with Christ in his resurrection. We have been united with Christ in his crucifixion. And today we see that we are united with Christ in his exaltation, that is, his ascension to the very right hand of God. 
Now the phrase union with Christ is another way of describing our salvation. We are used to terms like maybe justified, redeemed, delivered, saved. This phrase union with Christ is another way of saying we are saved, delivered, redeemed, justified. Why are we saved? We are union in union with Christ. How do we come into a union with Christ? By being saved. Now, I'm not going to stand here and tell you that I pretend to understand everything that that means to say we are in Christ and with Christ. But I can tell you a few things it does not mean. It doesn't mean that we are absorbed into Jesus and lose our being. See, that's, that's a pagan idea that says that at some point we become so one with the universe, we lose our very identity and being. No, we are still us in Jesus. The book of 1 John says that even then when we see him face to face, we will know as we have been known. We are still our identity. I'm still Mark in Christ. You are still you in Christ. So it's not this idea of being absorbed into Jesus that we lose who we are. Also, it's not that we are united with Christ because we share his ideals or philosophy. It's not like a, a political group. Our union with Jesus is deeper than that. Now, let me give you three words to describe the meaning of our union with Christ. One, it's judicial. What that means is this. We are judged with and in Jesus. Church, that's glorious good news. One day the Bible tells us that every one of us will stand before God to give an account. And if we stand before God on our own merit, how are we going to fare? Lord, I, I tried to be good. Well, trying doesn't, doesn't get it. And there will always be someone that we'll look at that may be more righteous than us. In fact, the Scripture says there are none that are righteous before God. The glorious good news of the gospel is this, that by faith in Jesus, when you stand before God, you will be judged in Jesus. How do you think Jesus does as he is judged by his heavenly Father? Pretty good. <laughs> he lived a sinless life. So you know what everybody will be saying in heaven? We'll be pointing to Jesus and we'll be saying, I'm here with him. I'm here in him. I'm here because of him. Everything I am is in Christ. It's judicial. It's also this. It is spiritual. Our union with Christ is brought about by and through the Holy Spirit. There is nothing in this world, no act or no ritual, that bonds us with Christ. It is brought about by the bond of the Spirit. Not our works, not tradition, not a particular liturgy, but it is Christ in the Spirit that is bonds us with Him. It is spiritual in nature. And finally, it's vital, which means it is life-giving. Our union with Christ is the means by which we receive life. Jesus used the analogy of a, a vine and the branches. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. His life flows into us. So our union with Christ is life-giving. It's where we find strength and vitality. And our union with Christ is eternal. That's why he says that we are seated with him. Now, I want to approach today's message like this. We're going to dig a foundation. We're going to deal with some theological questions such as, what does it mean when he says he's in the heavenly places? What's that all about? What does it mean to be seated with Christ? That's the foundation. And then we're going to bring the message to an end by thinking of through practical applications of, okay, now that I'm in Christ in the heavenlies, what does that mean? So with that said, let's start with the first one. What are the heavenly places? Look at verse 6. 
we're seated us, or he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Well, heavenly places does not refer to the perfect heaven and earth that one day will be. This isn't a reference to our end time eschatological location of the new heaven and the new earth. This is speaking of the here and now. Notice that seated us with him is past tense. This is done. We are in the heavenlies with him now. And the heavenly places is not somewhere that can be reached physically. It's not like there could be a, a satellite launched by NASA into space that one day reaches the heavenly places and sends us back a signal. It's beyond this physical rim. It seems to be that heavenly places refers to a dimension beyond this physical world. And the phrase heavenly places is only used in the book of Ephesians. So let's trace how this phrase is used. Let's start back in chapter 1, verse 3, to understand heavenly places. Paul begins the letter with a word of praise. And he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Believer, we've got every blessing of the Spirit we have in Christ in the heavenly places. Look further into chapter 1. Look at verses 20 and 21. As Paul talks about the greatness of his power toward us who believe, he says, this power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Now look at verse 21. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Now in verse 21, he mentions rule, authority, power, and dominion. Those terms are used again in the book of Ephesians. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 6 now. This passage, verses 10 through 20 in chapter 6, is known as the armor of God. So let's, let's see where we stand so far. In Christ, we have every blessing of the Spirit in heavenly places. Christ has been seated in the heavenlies far above every power, authority, rule, and dominion. Now, look, if you will, at verse 12. Paul has said, put on the whole armor of God because we don't wrestle, verse 12, against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, where are they located? In the heavenly places. The picture we get from Ephesians is that the heavenly places is a dimension of spiritual warfare where Jesus reigns supreme. Now, I know today in our, our arrogant position from 2022 to speak of spirits, the demonic fighting over us seems antiquated and some would say even superstitious. However, we cannot ignore the reality of such beings. Certainly not if we want to be true to the scripture because the Bible speaks of angelic beings and demonic beings. In the book of Numbers, Balaam is on his donkey the donkey stops in the middle of the road because the donkey sees an angel standing there. Balaam gets so frustrated with the donkey that he steps off of him and begins to whack the donkey. And the donkey eventually speaks back to Balaam. Don't you think that was an eye-opener? Why are you beating me? And then God opens Balaam's eyes to see this angelic being in the middle of the road. 
Elisha and his servant were trapped by a Syrian army, surrounded. And the servant is getting nervous. Uh, Elisha, last I counted, there's two of us, me and you. I look out there, and there are thousands of warriors coming against us. And Elisha prays, Father, open his eyes. And his servant looks out, and he sees beyond the army this multitude of heavenly hosts that's surrounding them. Oh, you're not alone. There's more than two of us. And we can't overlook the fact that when Jesus stepped out of a boat near the city of the Gennesarenes on the shore of Galilee, he was bent by a man possessed. When Jesus looked at him and he said, what is your name? A cacophony of voices answered by saying, legion, for we are many. And with one word, Jesus cast them out. The demonic exists. And if they had their way, believer, they would destroy every one of us. And you know why they don't? Because Jesus reigns over them. Because Jesus is seated at the heavenly places. Because Jesus is Lord of all and he is victorious. So he reigns victorious in the heavenly places. And we are seated with him, sharing in that victory. So what does it mean to be seated with him, as it says here, in this heavenly realm, this dimension where the spiritual beings exist and operate? Well, to be seated with Christ in the heavenlies does not negate our present reality. Some would argue that this world is just an illusion, and if we could pray enough, meditate enough, we could empty ourselves out and rise beyond the illusion. Such teaching is not biblical. Nowhere in the Scripture are we told to deny our physical earthly existence. Paul would have scoffed at such notion. I'd remind you, Paul is writing this letter from a dank, dark, urine-filled jail cell where he has experienced the lash of a Roman soldier. Oh, Paul would say, this is real, this is happening. <laughs> but he also knows that there's something even more real. It looks forward to the redemption of this existence. I can't explain it fully, but to be seated with Jesus means that we are connected to the source of our life. And nothing can sever that connection. Because he is seated in the heavenlies, there is no spirit. Paul put it like this in Romans 8. There is neither height nor depth nor angel nor power nor principality that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We are seated with him. And what that means for us is that rather than looking at the ups and downs of this world and being thrown back and forth, that we get our thinking, we set our mind on the things above where Christ is seated. Why? Because we are seated together with him. See, our problem is much the same that Peter had when he had stepped out of the boat. We do good for a while. We're focused on Christ. We're thinking, Lord, you are our strength. You are our joy. But then the waves of life start hitting. And before we know it, we're not thinking of Christ anymore. We're thinking, if that wave hits me, I'm going under. And God gently pulls us back to look to him because we have resurrection seating. That's what I mean by the title. The resurrection has seated us with Christ. And what that means is this. It means security. That's the practical application of it. It gives us security in a number of ways. It gives us security in salvation. As Baptists, we believe that a person, once they are saved, is kept by the love of God in Christ. There is eternal security. If my life is in Christ and I am seated with Christ above angelic and demonic forces, what could remove me from Jesus? 
Furthermore, it reminds me that I am not seated, remember, because of my works, but because of his grace. So if I go the route of saying, okay, I'm saved by grace, but then I have to keep my salvation by my works, then I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble, one, theologically, because was the work of Jesus on the cross and in the resurrection not sufficient enough? Can I add to the works of Jesus? Is Jesus lacking in some way that I have to do something to earn and to keep my salvation? No, the glory of the gospel is that we are saved from beginning, middle, and end by the grace and the power of Jesus Christ. And what that means is, believer, we can have a joy We can have a joy that goes far beyond the ups and downs of life, our failures and even our victories. The famed British pastor Charles Spurgeon preached a message on this this passage one time. And he talked about that in the temple, there was one thing missing. When you read through the design of the temple in Exodus and in Kings and Chronicles, there's no mentions of seating. The priests never sat down because their work was always continuing. So if Jesus, as our high priest, is seated, it means the work is done. Spurgeon puts it like this. If I am a believer, that is my posture. If you are a believer, that is yours. You are to sit down. Our justifying work is finished. Finished by Christ. Sit down, Christian. Sit down and rest in the Lord. To have joy. And rest in Him. And our resurrection seating gives us security in our salvation and that we belong. We belong. We have, of course, we come from different places, different backgrounds, different experiences. But I can tell you this, every one of us in here longs to know that we are accepted. And when we feel the pain of rejection, It stings deeply. I can remember a rejection that I'm still working through. It happened in the fourth grade. Charlie Brown in the Peanuts comic strip used to have a little red-headed girl that he was fascinated with. Well, there was one in my class. Her first name was Melanie. And I had decided I was going to be sly as a fourth grader can be sly. And I was going to find out if the, the interest was reciprocated. So I wrote her a note. Would you go with me? Didn't say where we were going, just would you go with me? Check one. Yes, no, and I wanted to give myself a wiggle room. Maybe. And as we went out, I slid it onto her desk. Came back in after, after recess, sat down and looked. What's she going to do? She picked up the paper, read it, looked back at me, and wanted it up. I'm working through it. (laughs) But deep down, we know that rejection. Wanting to be accepted. Wanting to know there's a place at the table for us. And we go through life thinking, if I get in with this group, then I'll be there. If I get in with this group. And what we find is that we never feel like we attain. You recognize that by being seated in Christ, He is saying, believer, you're accepted. You're accepted into the church family as part of the body of Christ. You are in Him. You don't have to live life fearing this rejection as you hold on to knowing you're accepted in Christ and that love is to be shown between His family. We have a place. And if we live from these truths, 
then we will enjoy freedom. We'll really be able to enjoy, enjoy other people because we're not expecting something from them. And we can really learn to celebrate with other people and to be happy for them in the midst of this. That comes from security in Christ. The resurrection seating not only gives us security, but it gives us victory. That's part of this imagery. You are now victorious in Christ. Now, I want to be clear. To say that we are victorious in Christ does not mean that we do not experience tragedy here. Christians have been and are being martyred. Christians are diagnosed with cancer. Christians endure suffering. But as believers, when we are rooted in resurrection seating that we are with Christ, those things do not have to overcome us. You'll have to forgive me, but in preparing for this, my mind went back to my favorite movie from childhood, especially since this past week we celebrated May 4th. May the 4th be with you. Okay, some of you are smiling, some of you are thinking, oh. If you'll permit me a moment of nostalgia. I can remember seeing Star Wars A New Hope time and time again, and there's that, that moment where Obi-Wan enters into a lightsaber battle with Darth Vader, former master against his former apprentice. And as they're battling, there's that moment where Obi-Wan speaks to Vader and he says, you cannot win, Darth. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can even imagine. Whew, I get chills. Apostle Paul put it like this. To live is Christ. To die is gain. I thought the, the, the powers in control didn't know what to do with Paul. It's like they came to Paul and they said, you know what, Paul, you're such a thorn in our flesh, we're going to execute you. And Paul says, it's all right to die as gain. All right, Paul, if that doesn't bother you, we're going to let you live. That's fine with me to live as Christ. Either way, I'm victorious. Believer, that's the attitude with which we face life. Paul wrote about when he said, we are afflicted but not crushed. We are perplexed but not driven to despair. We are struck down but not destroyed. We cling to a victory and a reality that is beyond this world that says, no matter what the ups are or the downs are, I am secure in Christ. I may know grief, but my grief will have a hope. I may know hope. But that hope is rooted in Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean we don't hurt, we don't cry, but we cling to hope in the midst of all these things. Why? Because we are seated with Christ and nothing can change that. Because being seated with Christ, our resurrection seating gives us access to God. He's at the right hand of the Father. What that means is that we have access to God through Christ in which everything that God is, power, joy, peace, love, truth, we experience in our lives. We're connected with Christ. We're plugged in to the right outlet. So the question is, if we have access to all these things through the Spirit in Christ, peace, power, love, joy, why are we not experiencing those things? Could it be that we, we, we don't think on these truths? Once again, people say, you can become so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. I think that to be earthly good, you have to be heavenly minded. Paul said in Colossians, we looked at it a few weeks ago, set your mind on the things above. So I want to let these truths sink into my heart, sink into my mind. The issue is, what direction are we pointing in to find our hope and security and victory? I am not a salesman, sailor is what I meant to say at all. 
My one experience is being on a, a rowboat at one point and even a catamaran. So I, I don't know. I'd be pointless. However, I can read poetry. You're thinking, how are those two connected? Bear with me. In 1916, Ella Wheeler Wilcox wrote a poem which contained these lines. She's looking at the ocean. She says, one ship sails east, another west, by the self-same winds that blow. So her, her question is this. you got ships going in opposite directions, but the wind is blowing in one way. How can that be? She answers, "'Tis the set of the sails and not the gales that tells us the way we go. It's the set of the sails. How are your sails set? Are you being rooted in who Christ is? Yeah, we'll struggle. We're not, we're not going to achieve perfection here. But you know what? If I have access to power, peace, love, and joy, I want that. And I think deep down we all do. This morning I'm going to give you an opportunity. Maybe in your mind there's been just so much going on and your sail is not set toward God. You've let the worries of life, the struggles, the problems overtake you. And today can be a day where you say, Lord, let me, let me redo my rigging. Let me set the sail the way it needs to go. These kneeling benches are open for you to use. If you feel like you want someone to pray with you, I'll certainly be here at the front to do that. But this morning I ask you to recognize the truth that you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. That is a done deal. Bow with me in prayer if you will. Father, I thank you for the grace you've given us that you have not only saved us, which is enough, but Lord, you have placed us in Christ so that where he is, we are also. And Lord, I don't understand the, the medical, metaphysical ramifications of that, but Lord, I stand on the truth of it. Jesus is seated in the heavenlies and every believer is seated there with him too, sharing in his victory, sharing in the access that he has to you. So Lord, this morning we rejoice in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We know that it is only by your grace we are saved. So Father, we rejoice in that. And Father, I pray this morning that you will indeed let the winds of revival blow in our lives, that we would know the power, peace, joy, kindness, gentleness, meekness, self-control that comes from being full of the Spirit, Lord, set ourselves toward you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.